that case, let's get our Bibles. And um, I, I know that the weather outside is, uh, the song says frightful. Now I want to tell you what, driving home last night from work it was a frightful experience. Seven ten, seven fifteen last night on four thirty-five, getting on the ramp to go to I thirty-five, and you're going way up there, and the roads are just snow-packed and icy, and I was sliding every direction. I had a good prayer meeting on the way home last night. <laughs> Hallelujah! Praise God! Praise God! Um, I would just remind you again that. Our policy is we don't cancel church normally. Uh, we will plan to have church. We did consider canceling today. We weren't sure uh, whether or not we were going to get the parking lot cleared off. And that was the only reason that we would consider canceling if it was impossible to get into the parking lot. But uh, that got taken care of, and we appreciate that very, very much. And uh, But we don't know what the days ahead hold. Uh, if we can get through the rest of January and first part of February, usually, usually we're okay weather-wise. Uh, there's no guarantee, but, but usually that's the case. Uh, but just as a reminder, that is the policy. And uh, we do appreciate those of you that are here tonight and those that are listening online as well. Um, we have tonight and one more Thursday night in the month of January. We are starting revival in February, and I don't know how many weeks we'll be going. I really, really would love to break out in a tremendous spirit of revival and it just go for a while. Amen. I'd love to be praying some people through every week. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 I'm connected to our evangelist on Facebook, and he's been posting regularly about the places he's been preaching, and it seems like just about everywhere he's going, he's seeing people get the Holy Ghost. And uh, I want that record to continue, yea, to increase once he arrives in Kansas. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. And we're looking forward to having him here. Amen. Um, but I said all that to say we started many weeks ago a series on why our prayers do not get answered. And I have two more lessons to cover. And we have two more Thursday nights in January before we start revival. And if I don't get these two lessons done by the end of January, I don't know when we'll get back to get them done. And I want to get them done. In fact, I don't know, I don't know that the Lord will allow me. But right now what I'm feeling is that we've taken a number of weeks. If we take two more weeks on this series, then it will have taken us about six weeks to get it done. We will have 
that's six different Thursday nights. It's taken longer than that time-wise. Um, but spending six of our midweek services on the negative side, why it's not getting answered, I'm really feeling that perhaps the Lord would like for me to take a few weeks and focus on the positive side of prayer and to deal with that um, from a positive perspective as well. And uh, so we may spend some weeks dealing with prayer from the other side of the issue uh, once revival is over. Now, um, let me say to you, before I get started, let me just say to you that uh, I appreciate those who have been involved in early morning prayer. I know that not many have been coming here to the church, but I am trusting that a number of you are getting up and praying. Even if you're not here. Um, I, I would like I would like for you to do it again tomorrow. 5.30, those of you who can, to be praying from 5.30 to 6.30 tomorrow. Uh, we tried to send a text message out to those who have been coming that we were not going to meet this morning at the church. And um, I really think that with the weather the way it is, not knowing how things are going to be in the morning, um, what I would ask everyone to do, we will not try to meet here at the church tomorrow morning, but I would like for uh, everyone to still be up and pray from 5.30 to 6.30, those of you who can. Those of you who cannot, just try to give the Lord an hour, if you would, sometime during your day, preferably, preferably the first part of the day. And uh, put him first, put him first. Amen. Amen. And I do believe that we will see results from the investment we make in our prayers. Amen. I believe God will honor it. I believe God will honor it. Amen. Now, because of the roads, and I know most of the main roads are clear, but I know some of the side roads are not. I know some of the driveways are still treacherous. Um... I'm going to try, and I do hope that all of you understand what the word try means. It's never a guarantee. It is an attempt. Uh, but I'm going to try to just hit the main highlights of tonight's portion of this study so we can get it, get through it and, and get you the idea and the concept that I believe God wants you to have. We need to know why our prayers are hindered. We need right. to know that. Amen. We need to know that because if, if we find one of these things uh, present in our life, we need to fix it yes. so that our prayers are not hindered. Amen. 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 And uh, so I do feel strongly that I need to finish this study. And so I want to take some time tonight a little bit of time tonight and focus on the next hindrance and um, try to, as I said, we're not going to go real in depth, Lord willing, but just, just give, I, I don't want, I, I don't want to leave you with questions. I want to make sure you understand, but at the same time, I want to allow you to, 
want to try to finish up a little bit earlier. I don't want to keep you to 930 or so tonight. I want to let you go uh, before it gets too late. Hallelujah. Everyone say praise the Lord. So having said all of that, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And we will read two verses of scripture, verses 7 and 8. This has been our text throughout this study. Oh, hallelujah. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Jesus is speaking. He says, ask and it shall. Let's try that again. Ask and it shall, shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you for everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be opened amen 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 amen, amen. thank God for that promise Thank God for that promise. I'm glad he didn't say for those who are deserving, those who are worthy, those who have wings and halos and harps. But he said, everyone. Everyone that asks, receives. That means you. I want you to say, that means me. Understand this promise is yours. This promise is yours. Come on, don't argue with it. This promise is yours. You're a part of everyone. He included you when he said that. Oh, hallelujah. Well, we've prayed. God bless the reading of his word to your hearts. You may be seated. Uh, if you will allow me, I want to do a brief review uh, so that we can kind of remember what the hindrances are. We talked about the positive nature of the promises found here in Matthew chapter 7. There can be no debate uh, about what Jesus said or what he meant. He gave some very, very definite promises. Amen. He said that if you ask, it shall be given. If you seek, you shall find. If you knock, it shall be opened. He said everyone that asks receives. And he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be open. Now look. It is impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. So here's what we're faced with. Either, number one, God lied, and we can't trust these two verses of Scripture. 
Or, number two, there is a problem that prohibits us from experiencing the fulfillment of these verses. Now, these are the two options. If our prayers are not being answered. There is nothing else. Now we know the first one's not the case. It's impossible for God to lie. And I'm telling you if. Listen to me church. If you cannot believe Matthew 7 and 7. Then throw your Bible away. Because if you can find one verse of scripture in this book that you can't believe, then you can't trust any of it. You either believe it all or you don't believe any of it. Well, I choose to believe it all. And I think that you do too. Therefore, the problem must be there are scriptural prohibitions. There are things that the scripture teaches us that will hinder our prayer. You know, it must be line upon line, precept upon precept, anytime we interpret the scripture. There are always other scriptures that we must look to. And so as I begin to dig through the word of God, I found some things that the Bible clearly says will hinder your prayers. So understand this, understand this, first and foremost, it is the will of God for your prayers to be answered. So, so church, please, let's get, I'm telling you, the devil has used this whole thing of, well, I don't know if it's God's will to heal me. I don't know if it's, look, look. I always, I try to make it a part of my prayer when I'm praying. I say, God, you know, whatever I'm asking, not my will, but thy will be done. But I'm going to tell you that when I pray, I believe God's going to do it. And you've got to believe that God's going to do it. And if it's not his will, then you have given him that that exception you've let him know i don't want you to go against your will i'm not trying to make demands that are contrary to your will but as far as i can tell he took stripes on his back to heal you why would it not be his will to do it Why would he go through the suffering and the agony and the, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Why would he go through the suffering and the agony and the pain, amen, of the lashes on his back if he did not intend to heal his people? I'm going to tell you why we use that line. It is a cop out to cover our own doubts. Well, hallelujah. We may deal with that more next week. I don't know. Um, So I went through it and found a number of things in the scripture that can keep us from having our prayers answered. We've talked about those. Uh, The first one, the first one, um, James told us in his epistle is we have not because we ask not. And that's a problem. There are things we just never ask God to do. 
And so we carry burdens, we carry problems because we've convinced ourselves we don't deserve it, we're not worthy. Whatever other lie the devil wants to throw our way. And I will say this again, it's never been about whether or not you're worthy. It's never been about whether or not you deserve it. It's always been about whether or not God can get glory. That's what it's about. And I submit to you, God gets far more glory out of answering your prayers than he does you walking around with your problems and your strife and your heartaches and whatever else you're fighting with. So, so the first, we, we just don't ask God. We just don't ask. And uh, the second one, the second one is also found in that chapter in James. When he said, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. Now, this again, this has been a, a matter of confusion for many people because they think that asking amiss simply means to ask um, and, and God didn't really want to do it for you anyhow. But the word amiss really means sickly. It means miserably. It means evilly. It means to have an evil intention behind your prayer. When you ask amiss, James said you're asking to consume it on your own lust. In other words, you're trying to get something that will gratify the flesh. You're, you're asking God to do something that will please your carnal nature. That's asking amiss. Amen. Like asking God to let you win the publisher's house, publisher's clearing house. Or I know you would never pray about the lottery. If you're praying about the lottery, you're, if God's not going to answer that prayer anyhow. You're gambling. You're committing sin. Don't, even, don't waste your time praying about the lottery, all right? Um, but all these other things that, you know, if God, if you'll just give me this, I'll give you 10% or I'll give you 20% or 25 or some people say well god i'll give you 40 or 50 and 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 i'm telling you god's never been impressed with any of that because he sees the other percentage that you're planning on keeping it's not about get, and you know what god doesn't need that money anyhow god doesn't need the publisher's clearing house to pay his bills he owns the cattle of a thousand hills have you checked the price of beef lately? God's not hurting financially. So he doesn't need you to win something and give him a percentage. So those things we are asking amiss. Sometimes young people ask amiss in praying about a mate. Because they find somebody they want. And they pray for God to. Give me that good-looking boy. <laughs> and that may not be the will of God at all for your life. And so you may be asking amiss. There are times you can ask amiss. And because of that, you don't get your answer. The third problem is also found in the book of James in this same chapter. When James says that God resists the proud. And if we are filled with pride, God is fighting against us. In, in fact, the word resist comes from a Greek word that literally means to rage in battle against. God goes to war against those that are proud. 
So you're going to have to get rid of your pride if you want God to answer your prayers. But he gives grace to the humble. Amen. Amen. The fourth hindrance. Um, the, the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, we talked about that, and that was the last lesson that we did. What this means is I know there's sin in my life, and I'm not doing anything about it. We're not talking about faults. We're not talking about failures. We're talking about known sin that you will not repent of. You know it's there. You know you're doing wrong. And then you come to God and want God to answer your prayers. Well, I want to tell you, there's one prayer God will answer for you. That's a prayer of repentance. But if you don't pray that prayer of repentance and get that sin under the blood, then God's not going to deal with the other petitions you bring to him. So those are four things we've discussed so far. We've got two more we want to talk about. And, and this fifth one, the fifth one probably um, is not going to make some of you very happy. I don't know that some of the others have made some of you very happy. But I'm not trying to make you happy. I'm trying to get you to a place where your prayers are answered. And sometimes... Sometimes you got to get unhappy before you fix things. You know, how many leaky faucets do you have that drip, 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 drip? And you say, you know, I don't like that. But it doesn't bother you enough to do anything about it. you got some little issue going on that, that irritates you a little bit. But it doesn't bother you enough to do something about it. It's got to reach a place where it bothers you enough to motivate you. So sometimes you've got to be bothered in order to be motivated. Do you hear me? So I'm going to bother you a little bit tonight. Some of you, some of you, some of you. Well, hallelujah. As soon as I read this verse, you're going to know what it is because it's very clear. It's very plain. It's stated openly in this verse of scripture. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. That your prayers be not hindered. Should I dismiss now or can we go on? Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. Our relationship, and, and I'm, I'm going to, before I'm done tonight, I, I'm going to point out to you that it's not just husbands and wives. But our relationship within our family affects our prayer life. Peter said it does. You know, I, I can't change the word of God. The apostle Peter is the one who said that your prayers be not hindered. Now, why does God care so much about all of this? I want to tell you why. 
It has to do with the same things that I taught on when I taught on communion. There is typology involved in the family structure. Are you with me? There's typology involved. Now, when we taught on communion, we talked about how Paul said that if you take communion and you got problems, you know, you could eat and drink damnation to your soul. Why? Does God care about grape juice? Does God care about a piece of bread? Well, he cares about what it symbolizes. I won't take the time to read it tonight. But again, I make reference to this every time that I teach uh, on some subject that involves this. You can go back to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20 verses 7 through 12. And find where Moses hit a rock. And God said, you're not going to take the people into the promised land because you hit a rock. God doesn't care about a rock. God couldn't care less if we kick a few rocks down the road. Right? What God does care about is what that particular rock symbolized. And so when Moses smote that rock a second time, it broke the symbol. It violated the type. Because the Bible says that that rock, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Go ahead and read that verse for me. 1 Corinthians 10 and 4 says. And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. Not literally. But in symbol. Jesus Christ would only be smitten one time. And after that, we speak to him and our needs are met. But Moses violated the symbol by smiting him twice. Smiting the rock, actually. And, and in symbol, it smote the Lord. And so God cares about the symbol. So what does this have to do with husbands and wives? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 25. For the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, 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 hang on. The husband is the head of the wife. Everyone say even. even. Can we say in the same way? Right? Isn't that what that means? In the same way as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Now, how much is Christ the head of the church? Would you say he's in control? Would you say he's calling the shots? Would you say he really is the head of the body? In the same way, the husband is the head of the wife. Read. Therefore, as the church. I, yeah, I hear a few wives saying amen. Now let's talk to you wives. Therefore, as the church is subject unto, is subject unto Christ. So let the wives be to, so their, own the wives be to their own husbands in every thing. Husbands, 
Husbands, love your wives, love your wives even as Christ also loved in the, the same way that Christ loved the church. And gave himself for it. Now, let me tell you. Here's what we've got to understand. There is symbolism. There is typology in the husband-wife relationship. The husband and wife are supposed to be a symbol of Jesus Christ and his church. As the church, we don't go around arguing with Christ. We don't tell Christ how to operate. Now, I know some churches, they try to. Some churches, their deacons are in control of everything, including God. Um, or they think they are. But let me, let me tell you something. Does Christ go around beating on the church? Does Christ go around slandering the church? Does Christ go around talking down to the church? Mistreating the church? See, there's a two-way street here. And, and we, we've got to understand that as a husband, my obligation is to show this world a symbol of Jesus Christ and his relationship with the church. And here's what he said. Christ loved the church so much he gave himself for it. He died for the church. Amen. See, so, some men like it when I talk about the husband's ahead, the husband's ahead. But they forget about this part. You want to know why he's the head? Because he loved us enough he died for us. Not because he came in stomping on us, telling us what we got to do, trying to destroy us. He's the head because he loved us so much he gave himself for us. So we, we, we've got to understand that we are trying to show this world. As a husband, I'm trying to show the world the way Christ treats the church. The things that I do for my wife, the things I do to my wife ought to represent to this world the way Christ treats his church. And to you wives, the way you treat your husband, the way you respond to your husband. Ought to be showing this world the way the church responds to Christ. So I, got, I got a phone call many, many years ago. Another place, another city, another state, another church. So you don't try to figure out who it was. You don't know them. Um, most of you don't. Some of my, my family might, but it's been so long ago, they probably don't remember either. So anyhow, be that as it may, a backslider called me one day. And he said, I need you to come. My wife and, and, and I are, are, are really going at it right now. And, and I want you to come and, and, and I want you to... to, to Deal with this situation. Well, you could, you could hear the anger. And I said, okay, I'll see what I can do. 
When I walked in, you could feel the tension in the atmosphere. I mean, it was, it was tight. And, and if looks could kill, I would have walked in on two corpses. They'd have both been dead. And when I walked in, sit down, he looked at me and he said, Preacher, tell her that the Bible says she has to submit to me. I said, uh, the Bible teaches that the wife is supposed to submit to the husband. He got this sadistic grin on his face when he looked at her. But I didn't stop. I said, the Bible also says you're supposed to be in subjection to Christ. And you should not expect her to submit to you if you're not going to submit to God. The counseling session was over. That's not what he wanted to hear. I'm going to tell you something. Men, men and women sometimes can pick and choose what part of the Bible they like. And try to throw around what they like. But honey, it's an all or nothing proposition. You don't pick one little piece out of it and make people abide by this if you're not willing to abide by the other parts. God wants us to teach this world the relationship that Christ has with his church and that the church has with Christ. And we do that by the way we relate to one another. And when we fail to do that, we are breaking the symbol. We are destroying the typology. And because of that, our prayers are hindered. Does that make sense? That's why our prayers are hindered. Just like Moses wasn't allowed to go to the promised land, you're not going to be allowed to experience the blessings of answered prayer when you're living with broken typology in your life. This is too important. Now, let me tell you that this, this principle comes into play with regards to more than just a husband and wife. Because if, would you open your Bibles? I know we're using the scriptures on the wall, but I want you to look at something with me here for just a minute. I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to look at, to physically see. That, that we're here in, in Ephesians 5, and I've read uh, verses 23, 24, 25. Um, you, you can read on uh, down at verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Verse 31, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife. They shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife as himself. 
And the wife see that she reverence her husband. We've talked about that word reverence, and I won't go into that tonight. But you want a little homework, wives, look it up. In fact, let me, let, me, let me encourage you to do something. Get the Amplified Bible. Get the Amplified Bible and read this last verse in the Amplified. Do, do you have the Amplified back there? You don't have it, do you? Don't worry about it. If, if, that's all right. Don't worry about it. We won't take the time. Yes. You do have it. Can you just put it up here real quick? I'm saving you some homework. However, let each man of you without exception love his wife as being in a sense his very own self and let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband. Now, here is the... You understand what the Amplified does? You know when you amplify something, you're hearing amplified sound right now. I'm not talking as loud as you're hearing it because it's being amplified. It's what the Amplified Bible does. They actually go into the Greek or the Hebrew of the Old Testament and they take that word and they expand on it. They make it louder, if you please, so that you understand what the original language was saying. So here they explain what the word reverence means. See that she respects and reverences her husband. Then here they've got this in brackets. That means this is a definition. All right? Everybody's with me? Here's a definition of reverence. See that she notices him, regards him, honors him, prefers him, venerates, and esteems him. Now that word venerates, another very interesting word. Um, ask a Catholic about veneration. And they talk about the veneration of Mary. You'll find out what that means. Prefers him, venerates, esteems him. She defers to him, praises him, loves and admires him exceedingly. That's what it says. All right, so that's, that's taking us down through the end of verse 33 or the end of chapter 5 all right are you with me so so throughout this portion of chapter 5 he's dealing with the relationship of a husband and wife the the, the relationship uh representing the symbolism the typology christ and the church everybody's with me Amen. we understand that in the original there were not chapters and verses it's one long letter so the thought continues when we move now into what is now chapter 6 and verse 1. He's been talking about how husbands and wives simulate, uh, uh, are a type of, um, are a symbol of Christ and the church. The very next verse, verses, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, read. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Now, look. <clears throat> I had this in several other translations. We're not going to go through all that tonight. I told you I was going to try to let you out a little early. But, but listen to me. The idea is still going forward. There is symbolism. There is typology. Christ and the church. The husband, the wife. 
Now we start dealing with children. How do they fit into this picture? Well, if the husband represents God in the family unit, children are to feel towards their father the way God's children feel towards him. We're not to back talk, to disrespect. God is not our old man. Well, you know, I, I just, I'm sorry, I can't get used to that kind of terminology. I'll never get used to it. It's disrespectful. It's disrespectful. We, we're not teaching respect like we ought to be teaching it. And, and you know, it's more, it's more evident in the Midwest and the North than it is in the South. Because people in the South for years continued to instill in their children that they should say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, no, ma'am, no, sir. And, and around here, it's just, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've, I have been in such a habit of it, literally. I go in places, and they've, they've corrected me. And I went in for a job interview some months ago, and uh, the lady that was interviewing me was younger than I was, and I kept saying, yes, ma'am. She said, please don't call me ma'am. Call me by my first name. Don't call me ma'am. I'm sorry. I, it's, it's what I do. It's showing respect. I think kids still ought to learn to say yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. No, sir. I think they still ought to learn that. Hallelujah. I don't just do it to my parents. I do it to any adult. It's just, it's just part of, it, it's, it's a habit with me, and I don't ever want to break that habit. And it ought to become more of a habit with some of you. It really, really should. We need to work on that. But, but to the children, the children ought to show the respect toward their parents. That a child of God would show towards their heavenly father. The other side of the coin is just as true. That the parents ought to be treating the children the way God and his church are supposed to treat their children. Husbands, don't provoke. He said, don't provoke your children to wrath. Now, this doesn't mean that you'll never make them mad because you will. But when you really study it out, what it's saying is don't do things that, that would create a carnal anger in them. But treat them the way God treats his children. You know, parents, if you want respect, show respect. That's a novel concept, isn't it? You want respect? Show respect. Don't call your children dummy and stupid. 
retard or whatever else you come up with. I'm telling you, we, we, now all, a lot of you were amen to me when I said they ought to be saying yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. Oh, yeah, that's right, Pastor. But now all of a sudden you're real quiet. But you don't, need to be, you don't need to be talking to your children that way. And you need to be careful. When you discipline them, when you deal with them, that you remember, I'm trying to show the world how God deals with his children. When you hear a child that's been abused by his father say, I can't really comprehend what God is like because all I've had to look at is this man. It says something to you. Amen. I've got to show this world what the Heavenly Father really is all about. I've got to show it by my example, by the way I treat my children. They've got to be able to see in me what a loving Father is all about. Ask yourself, if I represent to this world what the Heavenly Father is, what kind of opinion will they have of him? Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to be sure that my prayers are not hindered because of my relationship with my family. I want, to check, I want to check myself. Sister Regan, come. I'm going to close. I want to check myself. I want to check my spirit. I want to check my responses. I want to make sure I'm dealing with them in, in, in accordance with the role that I play in this symbolism, in this typology. If it's to my wife, I want to represent Christ as the husband of the church. If it's to my children, I want to represent God, the heavenly father. You women, you ought to look at yourself. The way you act, the things you say, the things you do. Ask yourself, am I representing the church and its relationship to Christ? Am I representing the church and its relationship to new converts? This is the way God wants it to be. And when we violate this symbol... Our prayers are hindered. I don't want my prayers hindered. How about you? Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord as Sister Regan begins to play softly. Let's talk to the Lord right now, everybody. Come on, let's, let's love him. Let's love him. Right where you're at, would you ask God right now, Lord, help me. Come on, ask the Lord. Lord, help me. I want